Welcome back to another exciting Punches and Popcorn adventure and our first foray into this year's Ninja November. With me, I have my fellow Couch Potato Ninjas on the mic. I have the genius, Jason Bills. Hey, I'm just here to talk about the shadows that tears cast. <laughs> I have many questions about tears shadows. Excellent. Yeah, uh, and of course, we also have our master of disaster, our walking weapon, the professor, Dr. Dominic DeMore. I thought it was shadow of a tear at first. Oh, okay. And I was like, that's kind of better. I was like, you might want to see a doctor. <laughs> what did you tear? <laughs> so yeah, the movie that we're covering tonight, and we are starting off our 2023 Ninja November with is Ninja 2, shadow of a tear or tear or... <laughs> Um, I, you know, I did not look at authoritative background here. I guess I will count on the genius for that. But this is a fun connection to. So we just finished. If you listen to our awesome, super fun series on John Wick, we had in the last movie talked about one of our favorite martial artists. The first time we've been able to talk about him on the show, Scott Adkins. And this movie, on that movie, we talked about the fun costuming that he had with the fat suit. In this movie, there's no fat suit. An all ninja suit. And I'm hoping to get us ready to really jump into the world of ninjas, to jump into the world of Scott Adkins to kick this movie off. That our genius, Jason Bills, has a little gospel for us. You got it, genius. Genius. I'm a genius. He's genius, eh? Wily Coyote. Super genius. Was it you, genius? You little genius, you. Being a genius certainly has its advantages. Yeah, that. Uh, so Mike gave me an assignment to sort of gear it towards Atkins. I'm going to go a roundabout way. I want to talk about direct-to-video movies. Um, so I'm a huge fan of DV DTV action movies, as uh, those in the know call it. And this is the first one we've covered on Punches and Popcorn, Ninja 2, Shadow of a Terror, or Tear. I like Terra better at this point. Anyways, so direct-to-video is kind of a thing, obviously, that you know you would assume started when VHS started happening in the early 80s. If any young listeners are listening to us, VHS was a like tape you'd put in this machine, you'd plug it into your TV, and it would play a movie. Why that's a huge deal is before like early 80s, that wasn't a thing. Like in order to see you know, if you want to see a specific movie, you'd either have to go to a theater that was playing that movie or it, it would be on TV at some point. There was no ability to watch a movie. You said, oh, geez, I want to watch Back to the Future. Like, I guess I'm going to wait. Oh, a, a good example is like Wizard of Oz. I think they play that like every Thanksgiving or every Christmas. So you'd like, oh, that once a year I get to see Wizard of Oz. So if you think about it, like the, the VCR was like a proto streaming service where you could kind of become your own programmer of what you wanted to watch. So that, that's a huge deal. Also a huge deal in terms of making money. Um, independent producers realized that they could just, instead of like having to pay for, you know, big expensive movie productions, marketing deals, that they could just make a movie, somehow make a deal with Blockbuster or mom and pop video chains that had VHSs and get it right to the consumer. So kind of a direct feed to people who wanted to watch movies and use their VCR. 
kind of a huge thing. It started off, honestly, the two biggest stars in the early 80s were Richard Simmons and Jane Fonda with workout tapes. Uh, so it kind Ooh. of took some uh, took a while before it, it sort of caught on to be like, oh, we should actually make movies. And of course, the horror genre grabbed onto it first because they're always looking to make a buck. Movies like Sledgehammer and Blood Cult became like they be made even not only like distributed on video shot on video so not even shot on film so shot on video like cheap looking things they they'd make hundreds of thousands of dollars eventually millions so it, like people were catching on like oh we could we could make money doing this like shooting something as long as we had like cool vhs box art we're gonna make some coin on this and and they did that eventually it bled into action but before that obviously porn that's gonna be a thing because porn <laughs> always makes money erotic thrillers were a big deal kind of like mid late 80s into the early 90s but action uh, eventually caught on and from that we got a bunch of huge stars like we're thinking like Van Damme would eventually be a, a DTV action star, but the, the big deal people in like early 90s, late 80s were like Don the Dragon Wilson, Olivia, I think it's Grun Grunner, um, I hope I'm saying that right, Cynthia Rothrock, Brian Bosworth, Billy Blanks. Mark, oh, the Boz! Yeah, and he's just wonderful in Stone Cold. And, oh, uh, yes. <laughs> Mark, Mark Dacascus, who we also discussed in um, John Wick 3. So great, um, a lot great of John Wick tie-ins. Exactly right. Yeah. So anyways, also, as like I was saying, this this was, again, a huge million-dollar, multi-million-dollar industry. And eventually, like, when their careers were winding down, I guess, after that huge pop, DTV people would be like Chuck Norris, Van Damme, as I said earlier, and Skull even eventually became, like, people you'd see on a, a box and rent their movies. Like, the movie might not be good or not, but you're, like, 14, and you're just at Blockbuster at 10 o'clock on a Friday and you're like, oh, he's on the cover. I'm renting this and I'm watching this potentially horrible movie. Anyways, <laughs> the reason why I'm talking about this tonight, hopefully a bridge version of what I planned is because to me, Scott Atkins is, or will be the last DTV action star, you know, physical media is going away. Unfortunately makes me very sad. Um, I know like just recently target, I think they're like Blu-ray or DVD shelf is like, it's it's so minuscule. It's barely, they're just waiting to get rid of it. Best Buy just announced that they're also getting rid of their physical media stuff in the oh, next. Really? Yeah, early 2024, they plan to oh. just not sell movies anymore. It rips my heart out. But anyways, Atkins was like a huge deal in terms of this. Like he he would just sell tapes, whether it's DVD or Blu-ray. If you go to a red box, even today, like one out of every five movies, it's going to be a Scott Atkins movie. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of wonderful. And that's how I, I kind of started with him is like, and again, I, I think it's interesting, even this movie tonight, I think we'll hopefully get into this very shortly. I think he wins me over eventually. He's just so skilled and talented. Um, and that happens a lot with his early movies because he has such like a baby face and is still like, he's like, I, I watched uh, the original Ninja One 2009 versus the new one or the sequel in 2013. And I'm, I'm rambling now, but I'll get to the point is that I'm celebrating scott atkins is our last dtv this this is a thing that's going away it's a culture that's stopping these you know quick shot action movies which have just really cool fighting and maybe some shoddy plotting is a thing of the past and it makes me sad but i also want to celebrate him tonight with you gentlemen um again there's this is not going away that netflix is gonna have their you know they're gonna buy this content or you know prime or hulu or something like that so there's still an avenue for it but what i knew as a child and grew to love and embrace and like kind of think you're like a cool action like 
you know, cult movie nerd because like, oh, I mentioned this movie with this star and blah, blah, blah. But anyways, <laughs> maybe Atkins is going to hit A-list stuff. You know, he was just recently as John Wick, as we discussed. He was in um, Day Shift with Jamie Foxx. I thought he was the highlight of that movie. But for me, the Atkins I love the most is in direct-to-video movies like The Debt Collector, Accident Man, oh, and Universal nice. Soldier Day of Reckoning. So anyways, long story short, DTV is going away. It's sad. But we, we're going to celebrate this man as sort of like carrying the torch, potentially the torch that is going out. Yes, that's so relevant right now because or to our movie right now, because the director of this movie, Isaac Florentine, directed a lot of those movies for Scott Atkins. Like mm-hmm. he's pretty much responsible for putting him on the board with ready to undisputed Two, ninja, ninja Two, Boyka close range Um, yes yeah so a lot of the big what would be like straight to video and now is kind of straight to streaming yeah that's his claim to fame is really putting scott atkins on the action movie map he's like uh the de niro scorsese's de niro if you will (laughs) yes yes and we don't well well can i can i jump in with the um so i feel like yeah uh the idea of the DVD and the the print media, not print media, but the physical media, I definitely, I definitely see what you're saying. But I feel like there's a lot of schlock on the streaming services. I'd say it's mostly schlock. So I don't think the culture around, you know, the alternative kid, you know, watching this crappy movie in his basement with his buddies <laughs> yeah. is going away. No, I, I don't. I don't. Feel better. In fact, I think I think it might actually. In, I might. I shouldn't say. I think. I hope. My hope is it's going to swing back, because I feel like it dipped, and now that streaming is so big, it may come back. Because let's face it, B-rate movies have survived almost entirely in the 2000s on Sci-Fi Channel. I mean, they made a living making those movies, like, not action necessarily, but these, like, Sharknado kind of movies, like that. Yep. Like, there are channels that have that have been like, okay, so the, the, the shoddy VHS is going, but there's still a market here, so we're going to make Murder Gator versus Psycho... <laughs> croc or something like that so i feel like this i feel like that market's still there and hopefully like hopefully that streaming will 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 cultivate it rather than ignore it let's hope yeah yeah where i think it'll change to me and this is part of at least how i see scott adkins in our world our action movie martial arts movie fandom is that this is kind of what i think physical media is like so i would equate scott adkins to and this will show how uncool i am and how not one of these people i am that i'm like if you knew scott adkins through videotapes like it's something you had to search out right you had to Mm -hmm. find this video or the dvd you had to find it know it was out there and i would equate it to like indie music and that like if you knew like television or bigger but when they first started were pretty indie, like a Wilco or something like that wasn't a band (laughs) that you were seeing on, you know, on MTV or whatever. So you had to know about it and you had to go to the store and find the record or the tape. You had to do a little, you had to do a little work. Yeah. Yeah. So it gave you that cred. And now once Mm -hmm. it's now because of the internet, I feel like that indie scene is different because of like Spotify, like you can find whatever you want to, and you can find, any site that'll tell you listen to all this music which is great that we get to 
hear all this different stuff, but I think the cred is different, right? That like, mm-hmm. well, you weren't digging this out of record bins back then. To me, Scott Adkins is kind of like that, that the reason that he gets that role, besides the fact that he's just fantastic, and we'll get into it. Like, I don't want to blow my whole Scott Adkins load here because we got <laughs> quite a load, I'm sure, to get into in this movie. But part of what I think why he's in movies like Day Shift or John Wick 4 is because all us old school martial arts movie nerds were like, yeah, I saw like the debt collector. And if I like, I got this at Blockbuster before. Now anybody can find this stuff on any of these streaming services, which is cool because we get to see these movies. But, uh, you know, there's there's a certain cred. And I, I'd i like to jump uh, in. I'd like yes. to jump yeah, in. Please, please yeah, do. Guys, my, my, yeah. my lecture guys, here couple, is over. A couple things. Uh, <laughs> please do. For our audience, in case you forgot, we're all in our 40s. We oh, yeah, have no street cred. There is yeah, no street there, cred zero. here. No, there might so be the fact somewhere. that the fact that Michael here is lamenting about the loss of street cred <laughs> is irrelevant to the conversation because he only has dad cred. He does that's not true. have street that's cred. True. Neither do I. Cred, Let's yeah. be honest. He, I mean, dad cred, like he's got great dad cred, but basically like I feel like I'm listening to Bandit Healer when he gets the mullet and he's like, it's coming back. Hey, it's coming. Dad. No, it's not. It's not coming back. <laughs> the mullet oh, is not coming guilty. back. We don't have any street cred, you know. <laughs> but anyway, let's talk about this movie. Yeah, because let's get in, let's, I wanted let's to ask, I want to ask you guys, movie. I was watching this movie and the production value is fine. Yeah. It looks good. Yeah. You know, the acting is, is good enough for an action movie. Like, but there was something about it that made it. I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Corny. And not this is not a criticism, <laughs> but like I was watching this and I'm like this is cheesy as hell but also awesome as hell. Like this movie yeah is not a real like this I'm right Okay, with you. how can I put this? It didn't feel like I was watching a quote real movie. Like I wouldn't <laughs> like it felt like I was watching a, an imitation of a movie. And like I feel like like, like that's what feeling I get when I watch like trauma movies. Or um, sci-fi channel movies, or 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 grindhousey kind of stuff, <laughs> the, or or what I used to watch on USA Up all night when I was like thirteen. Oh, yeah. yeah, there's like a disconnect so like, there's between a feeling. You know yeah. what I mean? Can you explain that to me? And I felt it now. I felt it when we watched uh, Revenge of the Ninja too. It has this kind of like, it's almost like a not a movie. It's a movie flavored product. Yeah, no, I, mean... I totally agree with you. It, to me, there's a disconnect between how how good and how like. Or like production wise the action is because when it does happen it like snaps you back into the movie but it's like the the dramatic story stuff is almost like filler to get to the next cool thing and it it, it just like you said i love like movie flavored something but not a movie anytime there is narrative stuff going on so i i, I don't know how to explain that to you but i just agree agree with you it's almost like the director, and I don't want to diss the director because I'm not a director and I don't know. But my hypothesis is the director either doesn't know how to film drama or doesn't care how to film drama. Film <laughs> drama. Because I'm just watching it and I'm like, there's a lot of close-up shots. Every time the camera moves, it whooshes, which I don't see why yes. it would need to go when the camera moves. Um, well, is it because it's a ninja movie? So we want to... Well, the camera yeah, is like, a ninja? This, the cameraman's a ninja, yes. Yeah, but <laughs> but like you know, there's a lot of face close-ups. There's a lot of melodramatic overacting. A lot of rage. A lot of emotion. It almost 
soap opera. That's what I'm, it almost feels like I'm watching a soap opera with some freaking amazing fight scenes, amazing fight scenes. So I was just like, that's what it feels like. It's this very odd kind of not a movie movie. And, you know, I like it. And also like goes back to the videotape thing. Videotapes are two bucks to rent. Two dollars right. to watch yeah. a movie? Who cares yeah. if it sucks? It's two dollars. Right. What else are you yeah, gonna do with right. two dollars? You know? <laughs> like I remember right. every Friday and Saturday I used to go to the video store with my dad when I was like tween age, you know, when I couldn't really do anything out. But like, you know, I wanted to spend time with my dad and I would rent you know, whatever. Like I remember I'll never forget. We went we rented Jaws the Revenge, which <laughs> wow, that was a yeah. bad movie. But who cares? Two dollars. <laughs> we got two dollars. We ate pizza, we drank soda, he, he had beer, I had soda, Speaking and we of watched sequels, yeah. What right. shitty movie. All it was actually kinda awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that movie and, and movies like this are perfect for what a lot of ninja movies are to me, that they're that hanging out with your friends, like Dom, I could have seen us at Geneseo like before going out some night, if we had Netflix or had like Plex where I watch this, being like, oh, there's, I just found this cool ass ninja movie and Scott Adkins is in it. Oh, yeah, let's watch this and we'll pound some beers, watch this movie, love the fight. Then we're all fired up to go have fun. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been bad. Could you imagine watching this movie <laughs> being six beers in and then. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All that testosterone, like, oh, God, that would have been real, Someone's going to end up with a cord wrapped around their neck when we, uh, (laughs) when someone tries to imitate the weapon here. And yeah, Yeah, there's a good villain weapon here. Like, they got the cord going on, the barbed wire, whatever this is. There's there's some stuff to love here. Well, let's let's jump into the story here. And I think this is something we can talk about throughout it. Where is it corny? Where is it awesome? And how, at the end, we could touch base on that again. And figure out where do we land on Ninja 2, Shadow of a Tear, or Tear. Or... So I'm really happy that this wasn't a white savior movie. It was a white guy in Asia right. when they could have just as easily filmed an Asian guy. So, I mean, maybe it was a bit of appropriation in that right. sense. But... Yeah, I don't know what it, what it says will... about us that our first two Ninja November movie, our first Ninja November movie each year has been a white ninja, but... I'll blame it on Scott and how awesome he is. And At least he's not wearing white. At least he's not right. wearing. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> well, let, let me get into the story. And let's walk through it. So we start with an intro newsreel back from World War II that I thought was really interesting. Just in the fact that uh, they presented this idea that ninjas were part of the Japanese army. And I, the Imperial Japanese army in World War II isn't necessarily one of history's good guys. So... I don't know. To me, it felt a little off-putting that that's where they yeah. were uh, putting right, a yeah. touching base with. Like, uh, <laughs> okay, okay. But, you know, we get that flash, and then we quickly are established back in modern times, and we meet our hero, Casey, played by Scott Adkins in the Koga Dojo, having a cute little barring session with his wife. So, Jay, you said you saw Ninja 1. So yes. I have not seen it. I just heard Ninja 2 was more awesome than Ninja 1. So when we were talking about starting Ninja November, I just said, hey, let's start with 2. I heard it's really cool. Um, is there anything we need to know yeah, going so into this? I'll give you a, a quick rundown of the first Ninja movie. So his wife in this movie plays a semi, definitely a bigger role in this movie. But so he's, her father is like the, the head sensei of this dojo. Spoiler alerts, he's eventually murdered by 
the star pupil of the dojo where also Casey is, he's very jealous of Casey, the, the star pupil who's also Asian and not a white dude. So I think the first one is more white savory because he becomes like head white man of this dojo, which is odd, but it's actually kind of cool there. Eventually, like, I think this movie too, like they, there's some decent plotting elements at the end of this movie reveal wise. And it, the first one has that too. Cause eventually this person, uh, the bad guy um, who hates Casey kills the sensei, joins this like American ninja clan working with Russia. The plot in one is way more detailed and almost to a point where I was like, this is way too much. And the second one, I'm like, you almost need a little more, but long story short, eventually Casey wins the day, gets the girl who, who almost dies in the end, the girl. He brings it back to life with the antidote that's in the ninja sword in the, in the base of it. Anyways. So anyways, that's what you've missed. Thank you. Oh, okay. All right, so yeah, we get back, and it's basically the start of this movie. It's Casey and his wife running this dojo. They're having a great time, and the movie starts like any good action movie starts with uh, a nice shopping trip. Mm -hmm. Uh, But luckily for us, that shopping trip is very brief, as Casey is mugged by some thugs, and we get our first chance to really see outside of some sparring scenes, Scott show off some of his fighting prowess. Mm -hmm. And he kicks so much ass. Watching him fight is a joy. Like, like I got to admit, got a little bit of a man crush on him. He's <laughs> handsome. He's ripped to hell. He's not a terrible actor. And his fighting is sick. Like, I mean, we're right off the heels of John Wick. And John Wick is right. very much like, I don't care if it looks good or doesn't look good. We're going with practical. We're going with harsh. We're going with brutal. So this was a nice change of pace because I'm like, this is like, artistic talent like i'm like wow i mean he's throwing those roundhouse kicks and doing rolls and flips and you know he incorporates all kinds of things in him it is flashy but not overly flashy it i mean yes a lot of the moves he does seem like moves that wouldn't work or might not be as effective as they like they don't hit as hard as it looks like they hit that kind of thing but it's right. choreographed so well i'm like this is sick this it reminds me of king boxer actually king boxer was a movie like that where i'm like oh yeah a lot of the fighting is a little hammy but it looks so good and it's not bruce lee bruce lee's very distinct like this is just you know what it reminded me of it reminded me of the fight scene the good fight scenes in mortal in the mortal kombat movie Oh, okay. You know, like the yeah. one where where, where Liu Kang fights Reptile, and I'm just like, that's sick. Like, that kind of... And he does such a, such a good job. So, like, yeah. I think the fact that he isn't a big-budget star, I think he could definitely become one. What, easily. Would you have been happier if he eventually gets to Goro in this movie, and it's the Mortal Kombat Goro, and not this oh, movie? Spoiler alert for later in the movie. <laughs> Sorry to jump ahead. Because <laughs> I was hoping it was Goro. Oh. <laughs> I was holding my, holding my breath. Put a pin in that thought. We'll get to Goro. (laughs) Yeah, I like that with the the mugging scene, he first starts by hiding, like, up on a roof. Yeah, that was cool. That that was a choice. But anyway, he gets called out because he jumps off the roof, and any sane person would ask, why are you on a roof? And (laughs) we get our fight. We get our beating. We get He does a lot of flying barrel rolls, which I really love. You know, and then he later, he ends up giving his wallet to these guys. He's like, I don't really care. I'm just not going to give you this pendant. And uh, which later leads to some tragedy as he goes back home. We are introduced to his wife, Namiko. Well, I'd like to jump in before we get to that. Um, okay, yeah. As, as a martial artist, I always get the question. If you're walking down the street and someone comes up to you with a knife and says, give me your wallet, what are you going to do? And I'm like, 
I'm going to give them my wallet. And I like that Scott Atkins was like, I'm going to give them my wallet. Because yeah, he's like, money. yeah, who cares? Like, right, right. a good martial artist avoids fights. And I know they say, oh, you should avoid fights out of honor. No, a good martial artist knows that there's there are people out there that are really dangerous. Like, you have no idea. But when you, <laughs> like, like, you don't realize it until you go out there and spar how high the ceiling is. And you're like, you know what? It's just a wallet. And especially in modern times where you could call up the DMV and be like, I lost my license. Okay, come in and get another one. You know, and it's like nothing. So anyway, for you kids out there, if someone mugs you, comes up to you and wants your wallet, you give them your wallet. It's not worth dying for. Trust me. <laughs> Moving on. So, yeah, he survives. He makes the safe choice and goes home. We get to meet his wife. We find out his wife is pregnant. Casey has everything. He's living the dream. His uh, bliss is spoiled by a bad case of late night pregnancy cravings that lead to disaster. Um, I thought the choice of chocolate and seaweed was an interesting craving, but they get pretty interesting. So he goes out, discovers his wallet is gone because of this comes back and wifey is dead and we get the first introduction of this unique weapon for this movie so uh, dom do you know i'm assuming this is like a version of a real weapon so i don't know chain like like i don't see how that could kill you per se like the cutting so okay chains and ropes i mean the obvious thing is they can strangle you and they can restrain you so people fight with chains all the time and fight with ropes all the time but the barbs in there didn't seem deep enough to really like kill someone wrap it around their neck and then they just go so no (laughs) it's pretty fake it looks pretty it looks pretty sick i didn't care but it wouldn't be my weapon if i was trying to assassinate someone I mean, personally, I use a gun, <laughs> but, but, but like razor wire, well, maybe like give it a shot. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely an interesting choice. I was kind of expecting it to be like a flying guillotine type thing that oh, like that would it would great. wrap around a neck and then you'd pull it and we'd get like instant decapitation. I was the... disappointed it wasn't that. I was like, yeah. oh, this is like the chain link version of the flying guillotine. And then right. it's like, no, it just chokes people. And I'm like, oh. That would have been amazing. Also, there's the there's the antidote from the first movie. The first movie fans like myself know that they have the cure at this dojo to kill death. uh, To kill death. To cure death too. Um, Kill death would be even way better movie. But um, yeah. So he should have just given her the antidote, guys. See, now I couldn't do that if if she didn't have a head attached to her body. Yeah. (laughs) Right. 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 I I just thought kill death. What is this final destination? The revenge. It must be. It must be. Um, but unfortunately, he does not cure her death. She's dead. And we get to meet his friend, uh, Nakabara, who for us, this is a really exciting appearance. This is, and I will mispronounce this, it's either Kane or Kane Kosugi. So this is the son of the star of the entire canon ninja trilogy, really the star of our entire Ninja November last year. Show Kasugi, who really what? is the image of ninjas everywhere. No way, that's awesome. I had no idea. Oh yeah, yeah. But he's the, that little kid that got bullied the, in the in the park. No <laughs> way. The last time we saw this guy, he was a eight year old beating the hell out of women and adult stuff in Revenge of the Ninja. Oh my God, you two, stop it. This is so great. <laughs> this is a perfect connection between Ninja Novembers to me, like. If a ninja movie has a Kasugi in it, it's that is instantly legit. You've got Adkins, he's our he's our martial arts 
street cred or dad cred. And now we've got ninja cred in Kane Kasugi. So awesome to see him in it. In this, he offers uh, his buddy, hey, why don't you take your mind off of things and come and visit me down in Thailand? And uh, Casey decides, no, he doesn't want to do that. He's got to look for revenge. So we get our second big fight in the Azuma Dojo. Yeah, that was pretty disrespectful. You know, he takes off his shoes, but he doesn't bow before he gets on the mat. And I was like, shame on you <laughs> well he wanted to piss him off <laughs> right right and then he just i like like he doesn't really say anything he just goes in there and starts beating their asses no he wanted to know so i believe the the guys who mugged him they supposedly used a certain move it was like yes, the three right. the triple, the, kick, the triple kick and he goes uh. who does the triple kick and it's dojo x so yep. he's like all right i'm going there and yeah, that's why he did what he did. So it wasn't it was it was detective work and also he wanted to beat the shit out of some people, which which he which he did amply. <laughs> yeah, that he yeah. did. That he did. Yeah, and, and in terms led... of like narrative yeah, um because we're talking about how the movie Mike, you haven't really discussed. Do you agree with Dom and I in terms of like the narrative part of it being kind of or were you you were into it? Well, this is where, as I said, like so we get the string of that it's this move ties him to the dojo dojo but i mean he kind of walks into this dojo Uh and i guess the assumption is that if these guys came from this dojo then everyone there is guilty Uh but i don't know that that's necessary he just walks in there and starts beating ass yeah like well how do you even know these people are connected to them that's what i that's what i was gonna bring up though perfectly illustrating what i wanted to point out um is he's so unhinged like he's just murdering like that's what i can because usually like in a revenge like movie you'd go see in a theater there'd be like a he wouldn't kill them or he'd beat them up or we wouldn't see that like it would just be a kind of sanitizer he is he is like bloodthirsty this is a really refreshing revenge in that he's after revenge like he is not holding back and i i kind of found that really neat Oh, yeah. Well, that's a great theme that's going to take us through a lot of the action that happens yeah. after this, right? But also what makes it kind of a B-rate, well, also what makes it kind of a B-rate movie is I didn't feel the same connection. Like, I felt, like you said, this is an exploitation movie. Mm-hmm. I'm here for the fights. I yeah. want him to beat the shit out of people. So I want him to brutalize other humans. That's why I'm here. Yes. Okay? And, I and like, I didn't need to to the movie's credit i didn't need to connect to him emotionally as a character mm-hmm. but to the movie's detriment i also did not connect to him as a character as opposed to john wick and by the way can i we point that out that this is john wick before john wick like yeah like, i mean this is revenge like he didn't kill the dog wife. but he kills his wife and he goes yeah. on a fucking killing spree and murders a bunch of people like this is the plot of john wick and it came out before john wick well so yeah. like which is also a testament to John Wick because John Wick's plot is kind of not original. And yet, except for yeah. the fact that it was a dog and not a wife or mm-hmm. a, a child or whatever. But that movie had so much emotional resonance as opposed to this kind of plot, which, you know, I feel like I'm like, okay, cool, great. He has his own revenge. I don't care. Maybe he's just a lunatic. Fuck some people up. Let's do it. You know? And right. <laughs> <we are>. right. <laughs> well, and it's funny that I think the next beats of the movie that I think are a good place. Was that a joke? Was that a dad joke? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that totally was my intention. The the next beats of the movie, I think are a good place just for us to touch on quick. And then let's take our break and, uh, and get back into the 
into the jungle of the action. So after he goes to the dojo, he finds the muggers that mugged him. And uh, there isn't a lot of discussion, parlay going on. It's just wham, bam, and double murder. Pretty quick, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And yep. you think, oh, well, he's clearly has solved the, gotten the revenge on the people he saw as guilty and decides to take his buddy up on his offer and goes on a little vacation to Thailand. So that's where I think that's a good place for us to take a break. And we'll come back in Southeast Asia, where the story picks up from there. Hello, listeners. This is Richard B. Cologne reminding you all to check out the Behind the Glass Gallery podcast hosted by myself and Kwaje Donnell. Every month, we interview the latest First Friday featured gallery artists and dive deep into their passion, drive, and motivation beyond what they display on our gallery walls each month in downtown Rochester, New York. So please, if you haven't yet, subscribe and give us a listen. Also, don't forget to check out our monthly artist receptions every first Friday of the month from 6 to 8 p.m. 240 East Main Street at the Mercantile on Main. Hoping to see you all behind the glass. And we're back. All right, so... We are talking about Ninja 2 Shadow of a Tear for our second annual Ninja November. Dom and Jay, of course, are with me. And let's talk about, so where we are in the movie, Casey, our hero, Scott Adkins, had his wife killed. And he seeks his revenge and then takes his friend Nakabura's offer, our our beloved Kane Kasugi, Mm -hmm. takes his offer to go and visit him in Thailand and goes to his ninja dojo. Yeah, so, so like... I mean, you know, there's more coming like so that's that's the thing. But I got to admit, I didn't see it going in the direction that it went in. So like, yeah, the plot's a little light, but there were some surprises. There there were some surprises. I also liked the fact that like he's so well known that he goes to this dojo and all these kids are like, whoa, it's Casey. This guy's awesome. Like, (laughs) I like that. Right. And one of those guys is Lucas, who in talking about his kind of unhinged just bouts of violence that yeah. happen after, which I mean, again, his wife, he found his wife murdered. I could see how that leads to a long streak of blinding murderous rage, but he sure. quickly, he meets Lucas who fanboys all over him. And then him and Lucas get in a little sparring match that uh, a little extra contact leads to Casey going ham on him. Jay, yeah. what you, was that was that justified? Of course not. Poor Lucas, man. Whoa, whoa, you don't see other celebrity fighters beating up their fans. What is this, WWE? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he went from like zero to 100 real quick there. Yes. It I mean, it's a pl- it's a plot device. Like, yeah, like, like yeah, it, you, sure. you want to show sure. you want to show that he he's still in a position where he can kill some people. Now we got to point him in the right direction. This is the wrong direction, but you yeah. know in a couple scenes something's going to happen and point him in the right direction, and then something happens. What I think is interesting, so they go to this device next after he he has this uh, beatdown of Lucas. His buddy there has him go through this fire walking. That I, this is, whether it's ninja movies or any, I, this is a device we've seen before, right? That mm-hmm. he's going to have this spiritual awakening. And I like what happens in this fire walk, right? Is he... He doesn't have an awakening. He just remembers his wife and then goes out and gets hammered and starts hammering people. <laughs> it's very I love that scene. I actually really like that scene because, you know, it, it's your typical martial arts movie where 
if it was me and a bunch of guys and one of my friends started a fight with a random dude and the random dude whooped my friend's ass that bad, I wouldn't run up and fight him next. I would be like, let's go. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but yeah. of course, of course, they're all, you know, everyone's suicidal in a martial arts movie. So they're like, my turn, my, my turn, turn, my turn. But it's awesome. Like, he's so good. And, you know, this is so schlocky, too. It's done like this is done like an old one of those Hong Kong, you know, Shaw Brothers movies. Because, like, one guy, what does he do? He takes two bottles. He smashes them. He looks at the camera and screams and goes, ah, and then turns around <laughs> and runs right at him. And I'm like, yes, yes, totally dumb, totally awesome, you know. Before they fight, they do that that stutter step and that, you know, and it's just so cheesy and so <laughs> awesome. And do they speed up Scott Atkins? Because man, he's fast. He's so he's fast. So I wonder fast. that too. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah. That's yeah. I would love to know. I uh, right. It's super super fast, and it's interesting, Dom, to connect to one of your comments earlier about why you don't just always fight everybody you meet on the street. This is a case where these guys are at a bar just hammered and they don't know that like this guy that the one guy's bumping into and getting into shit with like he's a fucking ninja <laughs> like do you think like if you're at the bar like the guy next to you oh he's actually a ninja <laughs> and they dealt with it and I, I feel like the funny thing about all of that is that to me when we talk about plot devices that really all that is just a plot device one to get us to fight but then two to get casey a massive hangover so he ends up making amends with Lucas, being buddies again, and then taking Lucas's offer to cover for him in the field, which uh, leads to another deadening. And now this kid that was his fanboy that he beat on, he's dead too, just like his wife did. And then we get the plot reveal from Nakabara, this whole, I guess what I would call the history of the dads. And it sounds like so some of this was touched on based on what, uh, Jay said about Ninja One. So we knew his wife's father was in control of a dojo, right? There was a couple, yep. there was like three different dads. Uh, one of them was the father of our bad guy, Goro, who we were introduced to earlier in the movie and we touched on, but we'll get into him more now. And these dads, Jay, do you remember what the actual connection here is? I think when I got this dad and that dad, I started losing it a little bit. They didn't actually... Um develop that in the first movie if that makes sense <laughs> i think it wasn't so, touched on. so what i yeah so what i gathered is that the dead wife's father the dojo the prior dojo owner was uh-huh. one of these like army ninjas that they talked uh-huh. about in the reel and yeah. goro oh, yes. was and like and there was another one and another one and they were all competing for dojos and then one of them killed goro's dad or like Goro yeah, was the son right. of one of them and they killed anyway so Goro was a child and his father or brother was done wrong and he said I will get revenge so which as we find out might have all been made up but anyway yeah. that's what he is told so he's like okay Casey the reason your wife was killed and the reason that your fanboy was killed which because it was supposed to be you was because right. Goro is getting revenge on your father-in-law's lineage because your father-in-law hurt Goro's lineage. I think uh, that's okay. it. it. This is it doesn't history. really fucking matter, but I think <laughs> that's right. it. You're forgetting oh, inside Goro though. has four arms and is 12 foot tall. <laughs> right. I, the fact that he only had two arms was a really big letdown for me. But I mean, so when we're first introduced to Goro, 
earlier in the movie when he has that moment where he kills his henchman that wronged him what sounds like a decade ago or i mean the way that they shoot him and like his like side eye like like this is very much like video game bad guy like he could be m bison including the weapon yeah absolutely right right exactly yeah right even the weapon is like a a video game type of weapon just a side note about this dom touched on this that uh, one of the dads was in the japanese army which again is like the imperial army i don't know that this is like an association you want to make for your good guys in the movie but anyways uh you know i'm no history professor here but the guy that they mentioned fujita Siko, was a real person and what i could find about him and again without like getting into a history lesson of history i don't really know a lot about he was like one of the formative basically last ninjutsu experts in japan and he did work for was involved in the Imperial Army in World War II. I guess they said during the war, he worked at like one of their intelligence special operations school training people. So I, in theory, you could draw some lines here and say like, maybe the Japanese Imperial Army did have ninjas. I don't, uh, interesting. At least that wasn't complete bullshit. That person that they mentioned is a real guy. So I don't Mm -hmm. know. Look it up, learn something. Um, But now you do the work. Yeah, you do the work. <laughs> now we have a another direction to point Casey to another mission. And now he's going to the fabulous, uh, wonderful vacation spot of Myanmar. Formerly Burma. Formerly Burma. <laughs> right. I don't know why they needed that, but yeah, it's in there in case you in case you forgot. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I probably because and his trip out... is and his trip is awesome. He goes to markets. He smokes yes, crack. He gets so. arrested. Like, jeez, <laughs> yeah, like this he is like a Mike. That's the most exciting part for me is that he meets a Mike. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, let's face it. His vacation in Myanmar is was if it wasn't for entirely for revenge like he, this was like the hangover like <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's talk smoke about crack this. <laughs> like, like i have never <laughs> seen a movie where he's just like I'm, the guy's like smoke some crack and he's like i don't want <laughs> and then he kicks a bunch of guys asses on crack like it's kind of like a rangoon <laughs> training day where he's like smoke this get blado <laughs> he was freaking <laughs> awesome goes, like Right, he goes like shopping well, for arts and crafts. It's like Popeye spinach. Like he just really takes to crack well. <laughs> right, right, and then we... and I just like how he's just subtly everywhere. Like, take me to Goro, take me to Goro, <laughs> and of course everyone's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> take me, take me to the most powerful drug lord in your country. <laughs> that's like right, a, right. that's like a bunch of aliens coming down to our planet and being like, take me to your leader. Like, right, oh. right. <laughs> What? Like, <laughs> so can we talk I, I about like, the market? Because like, you know, yes, he's like, he, he meets, he meets, he meets Mark, Mike, and he goes to the market and he goes commando shopping. And one of the things, like, I just like what he buys. He buys dolls so he can get like pointy spikes from them. He buys some sort of chemical concoction that he turns into an explodey thing. And he bu- <laughs> and he buys um blowfish. Yes. Which I would like to make my science segment. So, Mike, if you are ready, let her rip. Oh. Ooh, I like it. Let's get into There's the science segment early. Mm-hmm. I think it's time. With science. Yes, science. 
It's not rocket science. Just say yes and we'll move on. Science. I don't think science knows, actually. Fly with me. With science. All right, gentlemen. So I wanted to do this for John Wick 3. But instead, I'm going to do it for this. And that worked out because I did dogs for John Wick 3 because dogs are important. But if you remember in John Wick 3, the adjudicator gets fed Fugu by um, Zero, right? And I wanted to do Fugu then. But this movie actually is more its more relevant. So I'm very happy about it. I'm going to talk about pufferfish and blowfish toxins because they are pretty important in this movie. So first things first. In Jap- Japan, it's Fugu. In Thailand, it's Pakape, right? And it's so all the porcupine fish and blowfish and puffer fish are all related and they belong to a family called Tetraodontid, Odontiformes, right? In English, that means four teeth. And because blowfish and all these other fish, they have four large teeth and they eat like clams and shellfish with them so they don't need to be fast and the reason that the pufferfish and all these guys have toxins amongst other things is because they are ridiculously slow they're very maneuverable so they're really well coordinated but they are slow af right and that coordination helps them get their food also males make these elaborate nests to attract females and so you need some sick motor coordination and they have it but they are slow so that also to counteract that they are some of the most poisonous vertebrates on earth right and it's not the only thing they use poison they also will suck a ton of water into their stomach and poof up into a sphere and bony scales will come out and form spikes so they turn into a poisonous spike ball that's not very fast but not very appetizing right and if they want to add insult to injury if a predator is much bigger than them and takes them in and swallows them what they'll do is they'll poof up in its throat and choke it to death which is pretty freaking cool right yeah so anyway yeah i mean well if someone's eating you like you know it's like fuck them (laughs) (laughs) right Right now now so the toxin so we all know the whole thing about them like they're a delicacy and they're delicious but if you eat the wrong part you're dead right and this is because the toxin although be it very powerful is not ubiquitous it's on certain parts there's in adults there's a little bit in the skin there's actually more in the larva larval skin to make them taste bad because they're smaller and things will just kind of suck them in and they'll, like, and they'll spit them out but on the big ones they have less in their skin it's more in their liver in their gonads and i believe some in their intestines as well so in their internal organs this is the reason why you need to be really good and really careful when butchering them you don't want the skin any of the any of the intestines the livers you don't even want to cut that stuff because you get that into the the muscle meat and you eat the muscle meat, then it's bad news. And here's an interesting thing about this. They don't even make the toxin. There's a lot of animals where they kind of hijack toxins off of other things. And in this case, the toxin is made by a symbiotic bacteria that lives in their intestines. It lives there, it eats their food, it makes the toxins, it's super toxic, and the fish allocates it to these parts. And it's not the only animal that does this. These specific toxins are found in a bunch of different animals that have a symbiotic relationship with this bacteria. We got octopus, uh, snails, crabs, 
toads, a whole plethora of different kinds of worms, and our own Eastern Newt that you can find around here. Anyone ever see those little red salamanders crawling around that are a bright red or orange? Um, they're red or orange to tell you that they have this toxin as well. So don't eat them. I hope you don't eat salamanders in Rochester. Oh, Please that's don't. like one of my favorite snacks. All right. Well, I'm surprised <laughs> you're not dead. You probably have. I mean, I can, don't even get me started on resistance to that. The toxin's name is actually named after the blowfish, once a uh, puffer fish. Once again, it's tetrodontiformes. This is the tetro, uh, tetrodotoxin, right? That's its name. And the way it works is pretty pretty simple. Anyone who knows anything about physiology knows that the, one of the ways that cells communicate, uh, they send signals, is by opening channels in the cell membrane and having sodium travel in and out. Right. So our neurons work that way. Every time a, a neuron sends a signal down it, it lets sodium in. Bum, 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 bum. Right. So it's a really important thing. Every time your muscles work, it lets sodium in. So sodium channels are super duper duper important. And this toxin gets in the way of their function. So this is really, really bad. So if you get uh, if you get uh, tetrodotoxin tetro, uh, in you, First of all, you're going to feel intoxicated. So, like, you'll feel good for a little bit, and then you'll start to feel lightheaded. Uh, you'll get numbness where you ate it. So, like, that's a direct effect. You'll start to be dizzy. Then you'll start to vomit. Your heart rate will go up. Your blood pressure will drop, and your muscles will start to become paralyzed. And that's actually what kills you because what happens is your breathing muscles stop working, and you physically cannot breathe, and you asphyxiate to death because your muscles won't breathe for you. Which is that awful. That sounds <laughs> absolutely terrifying. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's the whole thing. But here's an interesting side note. Like I said, there's a little bit in the skin of these guys. And what will happen is dolphins, which are very smart, will pick at pufferfish in order to get just a little toxin in them so they get high. So dolphins <laughs> will get high off of blowfish toxin. Just enough to Good get a face. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So when he throws those darts at those guys, assuming there's enough toxin on them, if it goes into their system properly, they'll eventually not be able to breathe and become paralyzed and asphyxiate and die. So how long does that process take? 24 hours max or 22. Okay. I'm sorry to keep you waiting this long. <laughs> you get that reference yeah uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. oh well that's what i was gonna ask i was like oh the simpsons episode is that accurate so yeah it's, right. it's like a day but if, if it's not too bad you'll be in a coma for a while and then live through it <laughs> oh that's Sheesh. yeah so so this is this is legit like it, this stuff lives up to the hype it's really bad so if you eat fugu watch it you know, don't eat the fugu liver. That's that's all I'm saying. <laughs> and and that's I actually think what he takes out because I notice he takes like a part of the fish out and it seems yeah. dark. So it was mm -hmm. either like the liver if it was accurate. I don't know if they did it accurately. If they're just like this looks cool and they pulled the part out. But if he wanted to do this, he would open it up. He'd take out the liver, grind the liver down, and put it on the sticks. Mm -hmm. Nice, fascinating. Don't I do this to... at home, please. <laughs> I have to admit that when I was watching this movie, I was sure that the, your science segment was going to be about firewalking, but this is way more interesting. And I like that it really is, to me, one of the more fun aspects of this movie is his little arts and crafts time in, in Rangoon. But that, it's, it's a great segue into really the rest of the movie because that leads him to the jungle. And the other thing that made me question 
why he was even doing this arts and crafts project because he discovered, and I guess is the whole point of why we have all this World War II history, because he finds this secret ninja cache in a graveyard that we're told earlier when he's when his buddy Kane Kasugi is prepping him for his trip to Thailand, gives him this map and says, oh, these are where our, all our ninja caches, caches are. And he finds a whole cache of weapons. So there's part of me that wondered like, well, why did you go through buying all that stuff if you just knew you had this map to where all these weapons are? Because he knew he had to mess up a bunch of people in the city first. That's Which, true. Why? Because he had to ask where Goro was. And That's he found true. out where he was. He was arrested. Right. And, then the, and then he, by the way, he kills like a police chief right. like in a, a police station. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you I work mean, for he's... Goro, don't you? Okay. Yeah, you do. I'm going to kill you right here. I'm like, dude, <laughs> you're going to kill half the city then. Half of the city works for Goro. <laughs> I mean, when we talk about connections to John Wick, this is very Wick-esque that he's just dropping bodies everywhere. Mm-hmm. All right, he has this little sojourn into this, the military police uh, gets out of there, and then he gets to go to the jungle, he gets his cash and gears up, and ex- I think that's really cool, because this is the first time that we see him, he gets the whole, the black ninja gear, and it looks super badass, when he's got all that on, and he's fully geared up, and they give us this really cool shot where he's like looking at Goro's fortress on the hill at night, like, I thought that was pretty freaking sweet. I don't appreciate him killing the cobra. (laughs) Oh, not about that. He just, while he's, uh, it's right while he's like camping, right? That he beheads the cobra. Yeah, no one's safe around this guy. (laughs) Animal. Cobra Cobra did not do anything to you, man. Anyway, moving on. (laughs) Well, you know, Bruce was able to just quick grab a cobra with his hand and Scott murdered it. But, (laughs) you know, lots of bodies are lost and more bodies are going to drop as he goes to Goro's compound and uh, really makes pretty quick work out. We get like what one guy killed with a blowgun and a couple guys killed with, I don't know, what are the weapons? I should know this stuff, but the, like the little like sickle weapons there that he just like dispatches a couple guys with that real quick. And then he basically just blows up all the rest of his henchmen and we get two epic fights. We get the first one with Goro's second in command yeah, and then Goro himself. What'd you guys think about those fights? Jay, which one was your favorite? I it's weird. Cause I, I was surprised. I was surprised how involved that first fight was with Goro's henchmen. Like I feel like they, as far as that character was concerned, I was shocked how, you know, much that I, Cause I was waiting for Goro and I'm like, this is a pretty elaborate fight for like the, the henchman before we even get to the main dude. So it was a little surprising, but maybe he was just super, you know, excellent martial arts dude. And they're like, let's, let's just have a great fight. So <laughs> that was really my takeaway, which is like, Shh. yeah, his fight was, I think out of those two fights with Goro and the henchman there, I thought the henchman was the better fight. It was really oh, yeah. interesting. I thought the fighting was great. You know, of course, Goro, then we get the, this weapon, the flail, well, something. And he needs that because he's like an older gentleman. So you, he can't really keep up with Atkins so he's, or Casey. So he needs that weapon. Yeah, I don't know. Dom, what did you think about I mean, I'm interested with these fights or the other ones. Like, again, I look at this as the, the amateur that I am. I'm watching a ninja movie. I'm like, 
All right, this is, I guess this is probably ninjutsu or some type of it. I know we talked last year a little bit so, about so he, how valid so the fights is he, So the but... moves he uses seems like kind of a catch-all jujitsu, which is, I believe, what okay. ninjutsu is. It's a very practical, like... I don't think there. I don't think ninjutsu is a modern martial art in the, the sense of like this is a ninjutsu move. I feel like the idea that you know you're you're an assassin and you're uh, working you know above or around the law and you know like all that kind of stuff. Use and he does kind of like a plethora of moves, so it feels like a kind of a, a collection of generalized jujitsu. Because I did notice some judo. He does do some throws. He does arm bars, which is which started off in judo. So like Juji Katami and that kind of stuff. There's a couple moves that he did that actually are, are like small circle or small circle jujitsu moves where you like, you bring the arm back behind the head and you take the guy like these backwards takedown kind of things. Oh, okay. And then just like karate punch, kick, punch, kick, punch, kick. You know, I feel like it's a mixed bag, which is kind of awesome. You can say this about John Wick. He does a lot of moves, but he also does a lot of moves over and over and over and over again. In this movie, he does a ton of different things. Like, oh, yeah. we, we, and, and it's all spectacle here, so I, I kind of appreciate it. And I guess that, you know, and he includes the weapons and grenades and like, because ninjas, ninjas are contract killers. Like, mm -hmm. they do what they do to get the job done. So if they have a grenade, they're going to blow people up with it. There's no honor there. They're not honorable. They're the bad guys. So, like, you know, samurai are the ones where it's like, you know, they're very disciplined. And ninja's just like, who you want me to kill? I'm going to kill them. And he goes full ninja. Like, oh, yeah. like, he started off this movie, and he seemed like an honorable dude. And then his wife dies, and he's like, I'm going full ninja. I'm going to fuck these guys up. And, oh, yeah. And you know what? Yet You mentioned that, like, the fight with Goro. To me, it seemed a little anticlimactic, but yeah. it wasn't the last fight. So, oh, in a yeah. so that was interesting. In a way, the fact that that fight wasn't huge almost gave away that I'm like, there's going to be one final big fight, which of course there is. So, of course. So I wasn't, I don't want to say I was disappointed with the fight. I would have been if that's where the movie ended. True. I will say I did like it being capped with a beheading. Anytime we get a beheading. And at least this time it's the bad guy and not just a, a snake trying to live his life. But... <laughs> So he kills Goro, his head rolls, and then uh, everything's cool. We're back in, in Bangkok, in Thailand, with his buddy Nakabara. And everything seems like we're headed for a tidy ending until everything's ruined by a delivery guy. And thanks to the symbol on his knife, Casey realizes that, nope, it, Goro wasn't the one responsible for everything here. It was actually his buddy, Nakabara. I like this. Was very clever. This reveal. I, I, I maybe should have seen it coming, but I was. That was sort of like where I perked up story wise instead of action wise. Where I'm like, oh, well, well played, movie. Yeah, me too. I was like, oh wow, okay. I know that there's like 20 minutes left, so I'm like, I hope it doesn't. <laughs> I hope it doesn't pull a Return of the King and just drag it out in the end. I love that movie, but you know what I'm. Oh, yeah. anyone who's seen oh. it knows exactly what I'm talking about. Right, right. So like. Okay, what can happen here? The big bad guy died. And he wasn't even that much of a bad guy. He was just like, Ehh. so I'm like, I'm kind of disappointed right. with the bad He's guy. But he fucked up, you know, he fucked up a lot of people along the way, which is what yeah. I signed up for. So uh, the movie's okay. And then I'm like, oh, wait, this guy's like his peer. I'm like, so we're right. going to get like the best friends turned enemies equal fight 
Yes, and I was pretty amped for that. And I wasn't disappointed because that was a sick fight. Mm-hmm. No, and it's great because otherwise, like, you have Kane Kasugi in here who is ninja royalty. So it's great to have him in here and not just, oh, he's not just wasted here. We're actually going to get to see him fight. And we get this great, right, that fantastic showdown. Like, he gets the the ultimatum, join or die. And instead, it's die. Well, what's he supposed to do? Be like, so let me get this straight. You murdered my wife, <laughs> cooked up some bullshit story, got me to kill a gazillion people <laughs> that I didn't need to kill. And now you want to be friends. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. It was a, a questionable <laughs> thought process there. Like, but... I think I would have taken it better if I were him, if he came up to me and was like, Hey, here's the deal. I cooked up this crazy scheme to get you to kill this guy, Goro. But instead, why don't you help me kill this guy? And then we could become drug lords together. And if not, right. I'll see you later. Like, you could have done that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, like, but... do you think that there is a way that he could have convinced it? Like, just some other story that he could have said, like, I don't know, Goro's a bad guy, and or he's hurting my students or something. And yeah. Like, it, did he have to kill his wife? For the movie, he did. <laughs> For the movie, he did. That's right. Which, that's which right. adds to the melodrama. Like, like I said, the, the, the movie's fun, but like it is extremely melodramatic. It feels like a soap opera. There's a lot of grunting and wincing and manly men almost crying, but not crying. You know, it was like, mm-hmm. like, oh, like it, it, it seemed was. very hammy, you know, so we weren't here for that. So it's fine. Yeah, it gave us. So, I mean, this is we get their fight, of course. Scott Adkins wins. We get the cathartic moment where the pendant that he bought for his wife in his shopping trip at the beginning, he drops it into the pond and everybody's happy. With that closed, I guess I'll ask you guys, since we've walked through this, uh, between cheese and awesome, where does this land for you? Where where does this land for you in the world of ninja films? Jay, what do you think? That's a great question because I probably put it somewhere in, in the middle of those two terms. So I am not answering your question. <laughs> How about you, no, Don? That, that's an answer. Yeah. Philly cheesesteak. Oh, okay. That's what I'm Birds. saying. It's well the... done. <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> no. no, Mike. But yeah, Philly cheesesteak. You get shaved steak, which is not high quality, but you fry it, you grill fry it. You put it on a cheap ass bun. And you slather it in cheese wedge, which is questionable at best, but it's got lots of fat and lots of calories and lots of carbs, and it tastes good. But I wouldn't want to eat it every day. Yeah, and then it's it's a great showcase for, like, young Scott Atkins. And, you know, he'd eventually, like, think about, like, his character here, which, again, I it's pretty, you know, obviously he, he has some like devious uh, behaviors along the way, but it's a pretty generic, like he's not, like you said, Dom, he's, you're not connecting to him. And I had the same problem. Then think about like how like insanely like over the top he's going in John Wick 4, where he's almost like doing like, like a character actor, Willem Dafoe thing. I think his like acting ability, you know, the martial arts has always been there. That's without oh, yeah. question but his acting ability is really getting better over time so it's it's interesting kind of seeing the one of his earlier films because if you guys saw him in four years prior to this in ninja like he has a baby like it, you don't even almost register at scott atkins so it's it's <laughs> it's like a nice evolution like we're getting there and um yeah so that's my big takeaway is i, I got to see a a really terrific actor slash martial artist moving up the chain 
Yeah, I'd like to, to springboard off that because I really like Scott Atkins' presence. And mm-hmm. I feel like he did exactly what he was supposed to do in this movie. Yes, 100%. You know, the director was like, all right, Isaac was like, all right, ham it up, ham it up, kick their ass, ham it up. And he did that. And I felt like in, um, you know, Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning, he was a, he wasn't, it was a similar idea, of course. Well, although I, I think a, a better, Universal Soldier was, Day of Reckoning was a much better movie. I mm-hmm. love that movie. Like, so that we'll cover awesome. it. We'll definitely cover it. But I feel like he's a little bit more um, grounded in the way he acts in this, in that movie. And, uh, like, I feel like he does well, like, the later movies he's been in, even as he's done a side role. He's, whatever he's doing, he's doing it well and he's presenting himself well. There were other actors in this movie, even because um, even Kane, uh, he, I didn't think he acted all that well. There was times when he was trying to act serious, and I was like, eh, this seems very forced. But I don't get that impression <laughs> with Scott Atkins. I feel like yeah. I feel like he's a good actor, and I feel like yeah, he just takes 100%. the direction of the kind of movies he's in. And a lot of movies he's in are schlocky like this and so he plays the part well i would love to see him in a like you know a like a like a fun action movie i think he'd be hysterical like i really do oh, he yeah, played yeah. killer so well i would love to see him in like a guy ritchie style yeah martial arts movie he would be he's a great dude for that. he's a british dude too oh, yeah. so i'm shocked he hasn't been in like a guy ritchie type thing but um, oh, yeah. definitely both of you check out accident man because that's basically what you're describing I've, it's I've more of a comedy that. fun that's really good it's i mean really he was fun. really fun in that his cameo in day shift Yes. Uh, Naz- Nazarian, Nazarian brothers. brothers. Yes. Like, so and I know great. there's been, I don't know if it's official, but they've talked about like doing a spinoff of just those characters. That would be a freaking they blast. Should. They definitely. It's why I was just looking at his credits and like where this comes in his mood. Like he has, uh, aside from the movies that we've already talked about, like prior to this, actually, no, I won't say I forgot because Dom has basically ordered me never to watch this movie. X-Men origins Wolverine. Mm-hmm. He was in that? He played Deadpool's, like, once he, um, the Ryan Reynolds Deadpool, once he. That was him. Yes. Okay. You know what? I thought that was the guy who he's like, he always plays a skinny, uh, scary dude. Like, uh, Uh who's the guy who played this? What? Frank Grillo? No, no, no. Frank Grillo's a house. I mean, like. I um, love Frank Grillo. No, I mean, like, he, he typically is head to toe in costume just like deadpool was in that movie he played the sexy fish man in the shape of water he played oh, the scary eyeball know. guy and jones Labyrinth. yes that yes. guy i thought that oh, was that yeah. was him actually yeah either that or or who's the guy who played darth maul uh, oh ray ray, ray park? park ray park ray park Yes. Yes. Ray Parks. Yeah. Ray Parks. So I thought it was yes. one of those two guys. I didn't realize yeah. it was Scott Atkins, but okay, yeah. cool. He was also in the Bourne Ultimatum as an agent, so I'm sure there was fighting in there that he was in Expendables 2. That was before this. He also he was, was in... great in that. He was great. I, in that. And I by the way, I, I read somewhere that his I, idol is Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yes, his fighting style is very similar. This mm-hmm. kind of mixed bag style swinging kicks. Not as much, you know flexibility slash you know naked butt stuff but like (laughs) i feel like his fighting style is a bit more like haphazard which i like better but uh but yeah like i could totally see how he's kind of a 
in the a student of the Jean-Claude Van Damme school of martial arts acting. It's of... in 2012. He did both Expendables 2 and Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning. And he also did Zero Dark Thirty that I assume that he was a Navy SEAL. Yeah, he it. was like... one of the uh, SEAL Team 6 bros. Nice, nice. So yeah, yeah, he's done a ton and we'll... I'm glad that we finally get to get into him and got to talk about a movie where he really got to showcase his martial. I mean, he got, we talked about it with John Wick four. He got to showcase it there, but in a very unusual way for him because of the, the fat suit and how he adapted his fighting style to it. So th- this movie was a lot of fun to, to see Scott kick ass. Right. I mean, I yeah. think for me w- where I land on this uh, with a lot of Scott Adkins movies, when we talk about the like, direct to video or straight streaming action movies. I want to see a lot of cool fights and enough of a plot that's going to get me from one fight to the other without falling asleep and at least respect me enough to give me a story that I can follow this along and like it doesn't need to be the Godfather but it also doesn't need to be brainlessly stupid and they give us a, a enough of a plot to follow along here and I think the best way to, to describe it is this way. I would watch it again, but only to watch it with someone who appreciates the same kind of movie. Yes, mm-hmm. for sure. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. And That's I'd how watch I it feel. just to watch the fights, right? Yeah. But like Absolutely. I wouldn't watch it again. I got the point. Like yeah, exactly. I don't think I don't think watching it twice if I'm like, oh well, I got an hour I got two hours to kill, I'm gonna watch this. No. Mm-hmm. But if like you guys come over and I'm like, hey, check out this movie, let's have some beer and watch this. Whoa, yeah. like that kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, and if it's Ninja November and you're looking for some good ninja action, you know, this is this is a good one. Nice. Well, I'm glad that we got to jump into Ninja November and we got to do something a little different, but also had good connections to our previous movies, our previous year movies. So this is a lot of fun, guys. If you're listening to this now, early in November, and you're in Rochester, check out the Anomaly Film Festival. It's coming, like, tomorrow from when we're recording this. So check it out. There'll be more to come there. And, guys, any final ninja thoughts before we close this out? Remember, the only one that can kill a ninja is another ninja. (laughs) So true. So true. We can't top that. Good night, folks. This has been a presentation of the Lunchroom Podcast Network.